1: Hello, and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck-building site on the web for the Commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan.
2: Hello, friends.
1: And waiting over there, In the Margins, it's the author of the In the Margins series, Dana Roach. Good evening, everybody. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at EDHREC.com, along with some awesome featured community content such as podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on EDHREC Cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? Good got Dominaria. Yeah, we're going to be going through a Dominaria set review. We don't yet have any statistics for Dominaria, obviously, since the set hasn't come out. But for the purposes of this review, we're going to try and anticipate what the statistics will be. We're going to try and figure out what the most popular cards from Dominaria will be in EDH. And uh, hopefully, in a future show, we can go up and see whether or not we were correct. Since we're going back to Dominaria, the OG plane and magic, I wanted to ask really quick, what are your guys' OG decks? What was the first deck that you ever built? Dana, do you want to start off? My first commander deck? Um, first commander deck I ever built was my Glist
0: of the Trader deck. When I came back into Magic, and this was like Return to Ravnica era, the guy I was playing with, um, we started off just kind of doing kitchen table stuff. So the first deck I threw together, or one of the first decks, was just a Death Touch deck. I just thought I wanted to do something thematic, so I threw a bunch of Death Touch creatures in the deck. And then once we started talking about, oh, let's try something else, and you know, let's maybe try commander. Once I read about it, I'm like, well, I can just convert that Death Touch deck to a Commander deck, I think. So I just looked up all the creatures with Death Touch and what legends are there and found Glissa and went from there. Nice. Death Touch Tribal. And I'm still playing that deck. Yeah, I still have that same Glissa deck. I mean, it's
2: obviously much different than it was then, but yeah, I'm still playing it. Very nice. Matt, what about you? So my first deck that I ever built uh, for Commander was uh, Mael the Anima deck, uh, which is about cheating out big fatties. And I remember in the early games when our our threat assessment levels weren't very developed. Um, I remember a buddy of mine would, every time I got a Not Vine Mystic out, which is just a decent mana dork in that deck, it would always, always, always get killed right away. He, I wouldn't live to untap with him. Uh, and I remember getting super fussy about everybody killing my mana dorks all the time.
0: If you let me throw a quick footnote on First Commander decks, this is kind of worth mentioning. I I mentioned coming back to the game at Return to Ravnica, but when I first started playing, it was way back when I was a kid in Original Revised up through, like, the Dark. And when we first played, we played a singleton format. It wasn't 100 cards and it wasn't a commander, but, like, my friends and I played essentially a singleton semi-commander way back in the day, and we all had decks built around the original Elder Dragons. So technically, my first deck was whatever the Jund dragon was, whose name now escapes me. Darigaz? Is that Darigaz? No, because it, it was one of it was one of the legends. It, man, I can't... It was an Italian or a, a
2: Latin-sounding name, and I can't remember it. The Vavis Asmati or whatever? The Victus Asmati. That's yeah. who it was. Yeah, there we go. Uh,
0: but then last summer, um, the friend of mine I was originally playing with was in town, and it happened to be on Commander Night. So I, I told him, well, if you're coming to town that night, if you want, you can come play. You know, I'll give you one of, my old, one of my decks. He, you know, knows enough to play. He wound up bringing his old deck back from then and pulled, you know, 50 cards out of it to get down to 100. And he played his, I think it was Arcady's Sabbath banned original deck that hasn't been updated since, like, 1995. And he sat and played Commander with that for the night, which was pretty spectacular.
1: I'm sorry, he was... There's only one detail that I can focus on here. That's that he was playing a 150-card deck. You said he took 50 cards yeah, out he, to was slim like, down yeah, to
0: 100? Yeah. And it was unsleeved. And, you know, of course, he had old, original. There was even, like, a beta tropical island in there, all unsleeved. Um, somebody in the cards were, like, actually made him sleeve the deck at yeah. one point.
2: The the way Richard Garfield intended for everyone <laughs> right, to play. Right.
0: But, like, you know, I of Alexandria in there, which we let him play with. and That's terrifying. Because it was... But he literally... It, it was... It was Still in the box, his senior pictures came in.
1: That's what he had for a deck box. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, All right, this story has made me thoroughly uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> I just think it's funny that you kept referring to it as Commander, but obviously you're playing Elder Dragon Highlander. Sheldon Menery insists that you you call it as such. I guess, yeah.
1: I don't think he really yeah. cares what the the name is. He's just as
2: happy that people are playing.
1: So I have kind of an embarrassing story about my first Commander experience. The first time that I played the format, I actually really hated it. I had borrowed, I want to say, a friend's Omnath Locus of Mana, the original mono-green Omnath that just collects a bunch of mana and gets bigger. And I did not like the format at all. I thought it was really dumb. But then the Commander 2011 product came out, and that's when I started to fall in love. I actually started off with the gave Guru of Spore's deck because I had seen that Carador was in the deck, and at that point in my Magic playing career, I loved Graveyards. But the Caridor deck didn't quite work for me because you have to actually naturally cast creatures from Graveyards. You have to pay full cost, and what I love so much about Graveyards is reanimating things for like 1 mana or 2 mana and cheating really big creatures into play. So a buddy of mine who had gone in to get the, uh, the 2011 product, we'd gone in on it, on it together... We actually just switched straight across. He's like, wait, so you want Graveyards? What about this Mimeoplasm thing? So I switched over to that, and I've been a Necromancer in EDH ever since. Mimeoplasm is absolutely my babe, and I am never losing that deck. It's it's my baby. Those intro decks were a
0: really good start back in the day. Those first commander decks were actually fairly well designed. A couple of the commanders, particularly the ones you
1: mentioned, were absolutely playable. Yeah, Carador is still one of the most popular commanders of all time. I'm sad to see, I think I mentioned last week, that Mimiplasm, which used to be on the top commander list, but it was pushed off by Sadisi, you know, another Sultai snake, how dare she? But yeah, I love that ooze, I love that he eats, he just gobbles up creatures in graveyards and copies one of them, gets bigger for the other. It's so much fun to get Lord of Extinction, a ton of plus one counters on a Mimiplasm. It's still my, my favorite deck, and my friends hate it when I pull it out.
2: Oh, I was going to say, if it makes you feel any better, Joey, you know, Sadisi's probably going to get pushed out by a new commander coming out in in the new set, but we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Well, as long as we're talking
1: about commanders that are up and coming, we might as well get to the review, right? For the purposes of this Dominaria review, we're going to start with the Commanders. Obviously, there are a lot of legendary creatures in Dominaria. There are so many new potential Commanders, but we're going to try and refine it down to see what Commanders will be the most popular. EDH Rec is about measuring popularity, so we're here to try and anticipate which new Commander will be the most popular before we get what those statistics will be. So Matt, since you mentioned the Sultai Commander coming up, do you want to start with her?
2: Yeah, so the Soul Tide Commander that um, was revealed was Muldratha the Gravetide. So it's a, a, a legendary elemental avatar. It costs three generic mana, then uh, Soul Tide colors. So one black, one green, one blue for a 6-6. Six, six. Um, and the text is where it really gets saucy. Uh, so it reads, during your, each of your turns, you may play up to one permanent card of each permanent type from your graveyard. So you can play... One land, one enchantment, uh, one artifact, one creature—just um, any type of permanent. And so I'm sure you're, people are going to dig into tribal, whatever, just to say they're playing more tribal and get value. Um, but the, the reminder text on the card says, "If a card has multiple permanent types, choose one as you play it." So you could say, you know, for example, you could play Course of Crewfix and have that be your creature, and then you could play another enchantment later on too. So, a lot of value going on with that one. Sultai is really famous
1: for how well it interacts with the graveyards, as I mentioned with Mimeoplasm and then also, of course, with Sidisi, and then also with Tassager That's another Sultai commander that cares about the graveyard as well. Muldrotha is very akin to Caridor, which is also a very popular commander. So that's definitely one reason why we think this might be a pretty popular commander going forward, that this is an area that's been explored that people, it seems, we can't get enough of.
0: Yeah, that, I think mean, that's going to hurt it, though, too, I think. Maldrotha, the spirit chieftain of Clan Toth is n- <laughs> not perhaps the most singular commander they've ever made. No. Um, I mean, I guess it gives you a chance if you're sick of the being one of the eight people in your meta running Marin, you can switch off to this and then just be one of the four people running Maldrotha. I think it'll be popular. I think it's a neat commander, I think it's going to be effective. Um, I think we've seen it before. <laughs> I think there's nothing we can say about it that hasn't been said in a review of Marin or a review of Caridor before this.
2: Well, I, was say, I, I agree with, with Dana. Like, It's not a terribly unique effect, but like, there's just so much value. It, it's just one of those types of commanders that people know are going to be very, very happy to play, I guess is the best way to, to put it. Just because there's so much. like You can traumatize yourself and you suddenly have a 40-card hand. It just, yeah, you're going to be able to get a lot of value off of it. Is it going to be the most unique commander? Not at all. Probably a lot of decks are going to, you're going to see a lot of cards probably on the EDH rec page that, I mean, you're going to see a lot of 80%, a lot of 70% cards just because a lot of the Moldrotha decks are going to all look pretty similar, I think. Is it interesting? No, but I think it's going to be very powerful and very popular. So when you say 80% cards and 70% cards, what did you mean by that? I mean that you're going to see Moldrotha decks, like, you're going to see 80% of those decks playing stuff like Grizzly Salvage, or just a lot of ways to to churn their graveyard, you know, grow that as big as possible. Like I said, you can traumatize yourself, which is put half your library into your graveyard. You do that to yourself and say you have, you know, 80 cards left in your library, so you, you put, you know, 40 cards into your hand, basically, so barring a bajuka bog or you know any of your normal graveyard hate you can just play so much and it doesn't target the uh, on the command zone Jimmy and Josh were talking about this doesn't target so say somebody tries to you know scavenging you and get rid of one of your creatures like well that's fine because you can just play another one you're not targeting a, a, a card in your graveyard so yeah it's it's really really good boring I know we can we can repeat that over and over like it's it's gonna be very similar but there's gonna be a lot of people at all running very similar decks. That's why I said the the 70 and 80% cards are you know, seventy to eighty percent of all decks are gonna be running a you know a core of the same stuff.
0: And you and you mentioned
2: Traumatize,
0: like Traumatize isn't available in Marin or in Carador, so this gives you things that being able to play blue in this gives you cards that you don't have access to in those other decks. Mm-hmm. Um, intuition is gonna be ridiculous in this deck, and you know, you can't play intuition in Marin or Carador. So it's having access to blue is going to open up some powerful plays that don't exist in those other archetypes as well.
2: Yeah, a lot of eluding effects like Frantic Search, Charter Course, stuff like that. That's all going to be pretty good in, in Mildrotha decks.
1: I think my favorite interaction with Mildrotha will probably be Mystic Remora. Mm-hmm. That way it's a, a one-mana enchantment that has cumulative upkeep, but all you have to do is not pay the cumulative upkeep, and then it will go to your graveyard, and you can play it again for just one mana instead of continually playing... A higher and higher cost so you're
2: saying has cumulative upkeep of one blue uh, essentially but that's a lot <laughs> better than
1: cumulative upkeep of one mana than two mana than three mana than four mm-hmm. There's a lot of really neat effects with moldrotha what's going to be funny for me i think is watching how many people play things like crucible of worlds for example which allows you to play lands from your graveyard that's one of those things that moldrotha also allows you to do so it'll be interesting to see what the overlap is of redundancy in moldrotha decks Really quick, while we're here, I'm kind of curious. What do you guys think of the new border that they have on Legendary Creatures? It's fine. I like it a lot. I I think it looks
0: better in a two-color Legend than it does on a three-color, because in three-color it's just plain gold all the way across, and in a two-color you get kind of that fading between the whatever the two respective colors are. So I like it. I, I think it looks better in some color combinations than others, but I've kind of been won over.
2: Yeah, I have no strong opinion that that's something that, like, I just never really get too excited about. I'm more excited about what the card does than how it looks. Unless it's a from the vault foiling. In that case, it's better off in the burner. (laughs) That's just me getting aggressive. (laughs) Alrighty.
1: Speaking of aggressive, I'm going to move on to our next commander now that we think might be pretty popular, and that's Grand Warlord Rada. This is a four-mana Gruul commander. She's a legendary creature elf warrior, a 3-4 with haste, and she says whenever one or more creatures you control attack, add that much mana in any combination of red and or green. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as end steps and phases end. This is a really neat commander who sort of behaves like, what is it, the Druidic response or Druid's Reservoir, some type of green enchantment that gives you mana whenever you attack, unless you use it at any time. Druid's Repository. Druid's Repository. Thank you, Dana. This is also a really neat throwback to the original Rada Warrior of Keld. Someone from Planar Chaos, she was a two-mana variant that just gave you two-mana but it was only in the combat step whenever she attacked and that mana didn't stay in your mana pool. This new updated version of Rada,
2: she does allow you to keep that mana into your second main phase, which is really awesome. What do you guys think of her? I think you got to get you a girl who squats. Rada, you know, she beefed up and like, she got really, really good actually, you know, a, a three, four for four with haste. Like that by itself is, is all right. Cause you, you know, play her on turn three attack with her right away and you get some mana back. Like I, I think she's pretty good. She's not going to win me over from playing Omnath, but I think uh, Mono Green Omnath Locus of Mana. I think that will be really good in there. Um, I think there are going to be quite a few decks. Really quick, Mono Green Omnath
1: wouldn't be able to run Grand Warlord Rotter? or are you talking yeah. about Putting Omnath, Omnath, would Omnath be into good. a Roter. Omnath
2: deck? would be good in in Grand Lord Rotter, I'm sorry, in the ninety nine. That's yeah. gotcha. My my misunderstanding. Nope, nope. You're good. I think she's good. I think she's a lot better than the previous version. That's kind of undeniable. Oh, that's undeniable, m- undeniable. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I like her. She goes a lot wider.
0: I think she's she's solid as a character, <laughs> and I think she's solid as a card. I think the biggest problem is I don't know if she wants to do any specific thing, and I think the problem then is if you're playing Gruul and you don't have a clear build path, it's really tough to compete with Zenegad at that point because if you're just playing generic going to generate mana and to play big creatures, Xenogod's still probably going to be more effective. So I think that's a tough nut to crack as being better than mm-hmm. Um But I think like if you decide, Hey, I've, I've always wanted to build red green elves. She's going to be better than anything else to do red green elves with. Um, but beyond that, I just don't know if there's a really good deck screaming to be built around her in the way that maybe like Moldova clearly is going to be a really good graveyard commander. And I, I don't know if this has that going for it.
1: That's true. It is really tough to beat out the number one commander in your colors. You mentioned Xenagos, God of Revels, and that's definitely one of the quintessential Gruul commanders. Still, I think Grand Warlord Rotter, I think she's got a lot going for her, so it'll be interesting to see how it shapes up.
2: I think Rotter will be a little bit better in, in 60 card constructed just because she's trying to be a you know, creature based with attacking with a lot of creatures, but then, like, what are you going to do with all that mana? Like either play really big dudes or like play big x spells and so it's to me it's trying to maybe do one too many things
0: and if you're talking brawl she's probably really gonna, gonna be really strong in brawl because there's nothing else that's going to be mm-hmm. doing that in that color combination and you know even then you can just be running a bunch of junk vanilla green beaters but you can ramp them out quickly once she hits the field combined combined with a bunch of manadorks.
1: so she'll be very aggressive there and you mentioned Brawl. This is a good time to note that EDH Rec does have fixings to have a Brawl Rec variant on the website. So if you are interested in the new 60-card singleton Brawl format that uses standard cards, then you can check that out on the EDH Rec website as well. Dana, do you want to tell us about Bonfire and Sunday? Bonfire and Sunday. I love that name. That's definitely like an indie rock band somewhere. There needs to be a opening for like bon Iverre. Definitely one of my favorite mistranslations from the leak of Dominaria. Uh, but anyway, do you want to tell us about the actual name of this card is Firesong and Sunspeaker? Firesong and Sunspeaker, is CMC 6, so it's 4 and 2,
0: are red and white. And it's Minotaur Cleric. And red instant and sorcery spells you control have Lifelink, which is a design space they've explored a little bit, but not very much. And whenever a white instant or sorcery spell causes you to gain life... Uh, Fire Song and Sunspeaker deal that much damage to target creature or player, so basically it turns your healing self into a lightning bolt. I think that's a pretty cool design space, and it's something very unique that we have not seen in Boros before. I don't know if it's necessarily good, but I think if you've been wanting to build a Boros deck and you want to build a Boros deck that isn't just
1: mediocre angels slamming into each other, I think this is your Huckleberry. It does strike me as a really unique effect. The six mana is pretty rough, as you mentioned. But it is also interesting to note that Firesong and Sunspeaker appear to have an infinite combo with just one card. Are you guys familiar with the card Spiritualize? Not, not in a long time. Yeah, when it first was came out on Reddit, I saw something with it, but I don't remember how the combo works. So Spiritualize is a three mana white instant that says until end of turn, whenever target creature deals damage, you gain that much life. It also allows you to draw a card, so that's pretty nice as well. So what's interesting about this is that after that spell resolves, you can cast any white life gain spell, which will trigger Firesong and Sunspeaker, and then they will therefore deal three damage to a creature or player. But once that damage is dealt, the spiritualized spell, the delayed effect trigger, however it is that that works, will then gain you three more life, which then means that Firesong and Sunspeaker will deal another three damage which then triggers the Spiritualize again. So you sign, you kind of go infinite with just that one spell and any instance of life gain. It's a little bit like Sanguine Bond and Exquisite Blood. Any instance of life gain can win you the game with just this one card, and that's kind of cool. We don't usually see Boros Commanders going infinite.
2: Yeah, I think that it's a fine card. I don't know if it's gonna be popular. I think with effects like this, like it'll be really good next to stuff like Soulfire Grandmaster, but then you need blue access. It's unique, It's it's cool, because you can lightning bolt and then gain your life and then deal more damage. Like, it makes lightning bolt relevant in EDH, kind of, because it's six, deal six damage and gain three, correct? Uh, no. Uh, because
1: Firesong Sun, Fire and Sunspeaker only care that a white instant or sorcery causes you to gain life. Oh, uh, okay, never
2: mind. So lightning, uh, red he- lightning, instant, lightning Helix then, yeah.
1: Okay. Lightning Helix is a great example. Yeah. Like lightning Helix ends up doing something like nine damage and you gain six life from it or, or something to that yeah. effect. It's a, a little crazy the way that the interaction works. But with Lightning Bolt, it does give you life for it, which is a neat transition we get to see that damage is turning into Mm -hmm. a different resource, a la Neheb, which turns damage into mana. But unfortunately, that particular thing doesn't quite work as dealing extra damage.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think another problem this deck is going to have is I don't know how well it scales. And and by scales, I mean I don't know how well it, if it's going to get better regularly. If you look at something like Muldrotha, you're going to frequently get cards in expansions that are going to fit in that deck, whether it's... Another variant on you know intuition or some kind of variant on traumatized. Like you'll get something fairly frequently that's going to put a card in the yard and put cards in hand. I don't know how much room there is in the game for another lightning helix or for another you know bright flame or clearly not another lightning bolt. So I, I just don't know how frequently this deck's going to get updated. I think people are going to build it and number one find out that everyone around them that both the same deck is running pretty much the same list and number two find out that every expansion that comes out probably isn't going to give them any new toys.
1: Yeah, Firesong and Sunspeaker get better every time that they print a new life gain spell, like Beacon of Immortality. I mean, that's pretty fun with Firesong and Sunspeaker. Double your life total and then just chunk another player. But Muldrotha gets better every time they print any card, because right, it can kind pass of right. nearly every card. Yeah. So that's a good point as well. Yeah,
2: I actually have, I have a bet. It's a Bloodboon bet, is what we decided it would be, about... Uh, Fire Song and Sunspeaker, so they're convinced because uh, Fire Song and Sunspeaker are only available as a buy a box promo. It's not going to actually be in the set, um, but still, you can't open it in packs. Basically, um, is how it is. They're like freaking out, saying this is the only good Boros Commander ever, and this is going to be a forty dollars card just because you can't get it in packs. So if it's forty, if it's less than forty dollars, then I win a Blood Moon from this person. You just want a Blood Moon. I'm going to win it. Yeah, I just I. I Got a blood moon because I know Boros is not terribly popular. Yeah.
1: I mean, we don't have our ADH financier, Jason Alton, anymore, but I feel pretty confident, even without his mentorship, to say that I don't think it will be that expensive.
2: No. Like, if it's $5, I'll be kind of surprised, actually. But this, this person was convinced and, like, made a very... Like, in our public area forum, said, this will be $40, I'll bet you a blood moon over it. So... I have to wait a year for my Blood Moon, but it's fine.
0: (laughs) Alrighty, it's a fun card, and I'm glad to see them doing something unique and different with Boros, and I hope that
1: trend continues. I just don't think it's going to light the world on fire.
2: Uh, Alrighty, uh...
1: Alrighty, let's move on to our next commander that we think will be very popular, and that's Joda Archmage Eternal. This is a Jeskai commander, but not really. He's one blue-red-white for a 4-3 human wizard with flying. But he also has that General Tazri type feeling to him where he has all of the colored symbols in his text box. Therefore, he can actually be played as a five color commander. His second ability reads, you may pay white, blue, black, red, green, rather than pay the mana cost for spells that you cast. He's essentially the artifact Fist of Suns just on a commander. And it's pretty powerful to boot being a 4-3 with flying. That's pretty neat. But what do you guys think about Joda?
2: It's a Fist of Suns, like you said. It Like, if you weren't excited to play Fist of Suns in Commander to begin with, why do you want it to be your commander? It's fine, but we, like you said, we've seen this effect, and like, Fist of Suns isn't terribly popular. Uh, like, it gets, you know, a fair amount of play, but it's not all over the place. So, I, I, I'm not really excited about it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Fist of Suns
1: currently only shows up in 1,373 decks, so that's not a whole lot. So yeah. Still, having one in your command zone can be kind of interesting. It lets you cast Eldrazi for, instead of 10 or 11 or 12 mana, it lets you cast them for 5. I,
0: I think this, I mean, there's a lot of, like, five-color Planeswalker decks out there that are running, you know, Sliver Queen or Progenitus or whatever just to have five colors, and they probably very rarely ever cast their commander. I think this lets you run a commander... That you would probably play and get some value out of in those kind of situations i don't know if he's that great necessarily but i think it's probably an upgrade to, to a lot of those decks that are just running a generic body as their five color commander to allow them to do super friends or you know all curses or whatever goofy thing they want to be doing so i think this slots in there and i think that's. All it's really worth.
1: (laughs) Next. We don't seem too impressed, but... Next. (laughs) Okay, we don't seem too impressed with Jodo. but (laughs) let's move on to some of the uncommon legendary creatures that we see in the set. Matt, do you want to tell us about Tatiova, benthic druid?
2: Yeah, Tatiova, the Russian merfolk person but the tattoo over the the benthic druid is a uh, merfolk druid for three and a green and blue uh, for a three three and whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control you gain one life and draw a card so yeah (laughs) lots of drawing cards in simic who knew there are a lot of uncommon commanders in
1: dominaria but why did we pick this one in particular for being one of those things that we think might be more popular than all of the other uncommon commanders
2: Cause it's Simic and Simic does busted stuff. Duh. <laughs> I can't disagree with that.
1: I really can't. I do have a Crufix deck of my own, and that thing's pretty nasty. Tatiova strikes me as just being completely insane. I also have a Gitrog monster deck, and he draws a bunch of cards when lands die. This draws you cards even when lands enter the battlefield, not even just when you play them. You don't just have to actually have played it. You can also cast Boundless Realms and put seven lands into play, and Tatiova will trigger off of that as well. That's She strikes me as scary powerful.
0: Yeah, and and nothing else is in that niche in Simic if you want to play like a landfall or land-based deck. Nothing else really does that. And you also have Awaken out of Rise of the Odrazi, not Rise of the Odrazi, um, Battle for Zendikar. That was a mechanic that, is kind of cool, but didn't really get any support in, f- in the form of a commander that you want to play. Well, now maybe you do have that. So I think there's definitely some thematic decks here that people will want to build around, and it's just generically a good card in any deck that can run it. It's not consecrated sphinx, but it's consecrated sphinx-like in that if you can run it and jam it into a deck, you're going to get value out of it. And if you're playing if you're playing blue green merfolk, it should be in every blue green merfolk deck too.
2: Yeah, I-, I really like putting it next to like. Some sunder effects, like just mass bounce, and then you Splendid Reclamation yourself um, after you discard all your lands, because that, that just seems crazy too. Yeah, just a lot of value. I mean, you, you draw a lot of cards and play a lot of mana, but that's that's Simic. You run the risk
1: of drawing your entire library with tatio very quickly, in my opinion. I'm kind of intrigued by the idea, since I read the Commander Showdown series and I pit commanders that have sort of similar abilities against each other, I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of a quadruple Commander Showdown between Tatiova, who's green and blue, and drowsy cards for landfall, and then Omnath Locus of Rage, who's green and red and gives you elemental tokens for landfall, not to mention Karametra, who's green and white and gives you lands whenever you cast creatures, and then also Get Rock Monster, who's green and black and cares about lands dying. I kind of want to do a big, massive landfall showdown with Tatiova. Do it. Dare you. Yeah, I'd for sure read that. Absolutely. I might also need to reprise one of my Commander Showdown articles for the next co- Uncommon Commander that we're going to talk about, and that is Slimefoot the Stowaway. Specifically, I'm talking about my most recent Marith versus Gave article, which is all about tokens and tiny counters and things like that, but Slimefoot adds a new twist onto the Saperling token idea. Dana, do you want to read Slimefoot for us? Slimefoot the Stowaway is colorless, black, and green, so three mana total, for a legendary creature Fungus.
0: It says, whenever a saproling you control dies, Slimefoot the Stowaway deals one damage to each opponent and you gain a life. For four mana, you can create a 1-1 green saproling creature token.
1: That's a cool card. (laughs) A lot of people are really excited about this one. It doesn't particularly strike my fancy, but I've seen a lot of buzz about Slimefoot.
2: Well, it goes infinite right away with Doubling Season and Ashnod's Altar. Like, you, you make a Sapperling, you, or you make two Sapperlings, I guess, with Doubling Season, sacrifice them both for two mana each for two Ashnod's Altar, start the process all over again. So you only need two cards that aren't creatures. You can't, like, you know, easily get rid of artifacts or enchantments, so... Yeah, that's true. Every time you sacrifice a Sapperling, you get the four
1: mana... If you sacrifice those two sapperlings, you'll get the four mana to create another sapperling, and he'll trigger sort of doing his own blood artist thing. Yeah, he strikes me as a great card to put into a gave deck, but I
2: guess on his own he's a really great combo commander? I think this is one that people are going to try to break the most, is kind of what I was thinking. Just because there's a lot of just death triggers and all sorts of different fun things you can do with him. Yeah, the longer I look at him, the more powerful he seems.
0: And he's powerful as well as being, I think, relatively casually friendly i think if you just want to build a token deck shell with him as your commander you can probably do that effectively if you want to go combo you can if you want to build around some weird thematic fungus saproling shell you can do that i think there's a lot of ways you can build this i think it lends itself to being effective in a lot of different power leveled metas people seem to have really taken to the the character of Slimefoot. Like I see a lot of like memes about Slimefoot and stuff about Slimefoot, and I think that makes a difference. When people actually like the character on the card, I think it's in powerful colors. Um, I think there's just a lot of little stuff going for it. Three three mana
1: is really cheap and easy to get out. That is a good point. He is the cheapest commander we've discussed so far, and commanders with low cost, that's
2: always a plus. And he's uncommon, too, which I think is going to be very relevant, because there's going to be a lot of Slimefoots running away, so he's going to be very cheap to buy at your LGS. You open a pack, and you've got a good chance at opening a Slimefoot, uh, and then you build a deck from there. So I, there's going to be a lot of them running around, I think, and like Dana said, like casuals are, are all about him. I think he's going to be pretty popular. Don't use casuals like it's a swear word. (laughs) I
1: wasn't. (laughs) We could hear the contempt in your voice. I'm a perfectly casual person myself. Yeah. Casual kid. I don't know. Matt claims that he's the
2: spikiest person on this cast, but I have yet to see the proof. I do, I did use casual as a swear word, ap- apparently. So I mean, there's there's a little bit of a start. All right, you competitive person, how about you
1: tell us about the next commander we're looking at from Dominaria? Uh,
2: so yeah, we're we're gonna talk about Joyra, uh, Weatherlight Captain. Uh, she's a human artificer for two generic, and then is it so a blue and a red for a three three. Uh, Whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. So historic spells, just so you guys, in case you need a reminder, artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are historic. So whenever you cast an artifact, legendary spell, or a saga, you draw a card. And it's a cast trigger. It doesn't have to enter the battlefield. It's a cast. So lots of storm, eggs, immediately what I go to. Sagas
1: being those new enchantment types from Dominaria as well, with the sideways art, they look pretty cool. You mentioned eggs A lot of folks have been talking about Joira as the artifact, the blue-red artifact commander that we've been waiting for, but also maybe only kinda? Eggs is a good thing to point out. The name comes from a deck, I believe, either in Modern or in Legacy, where you play a lot of very low drop artifacts, sacrifice them all, and then bring them all back to your hand and recast them, Mm a whole bunch of tiny little, little tiny interactions over and over again, as opposed to the more traditional artifacts that we usually see in EDH, such as Mere Battlesphere and Darksteel Forge, which are the much bigger, massive artifact synergy cards.
2: Yep, Eggs, Eggs was a deck from Modern where you played a bunch of stuff like Pentad Prism, uh, Second sunrise. Second breakfast was another kind of joke name for for decks like that. Where yeah, It was a Kark Clan Ironworks deck, basically, where you sacrifice a bunch of artifacts and you bring them back and you sacrifice a bunch, bring them back again. Uh, it's kind of famous in competitive circles where a player actually, I believe it was at a GP or to Pro Tour, uh, might have been in the finals even, got up and told the judge, can you just watch and make sure he doesn't cheat? And then went to the bathroom because the player was just going through and taking so long to play as turns out. So, but yeah, you just sacrifice it for value, draw cards, sacrifice more stuff, draw more cards. Bring it all back and do it all over again. Yeah. Cracking all those tiny artifacts from mana or cards, mm-hmm. things like
1: that. So that's why a lot of folks are kind of hesitant on calling Joyra the answer to their prayers, as it were. We've been waiting on a potential blue-red artifact synergistic commander for a while, but we're not really sure whether Joyra is going to be that particular commander. D- Dana, what do you think?
0: I mean, I think she can be. I think that we already got that commander in, in Brea, who's you know more colors than or than just blue-red. But I think Brea does all those things anyway. If you want to run two colors, I think Joyra can get you there. It might not be the perfect commander or you wanted in that color combination for artifacts but i think it can do it i think she's pretty open ended i think it's not just artifacts it's not just eggs i think if you want to build red blue super friends which is nothing nothing else is going to work for that but like you can do that with her you cast your cough and draw a card you cast your tibolt and draw a card i think that's something you could build if you wanted to and it would be effective i think you could build a legends matters deck out of this commander you know play your red blue legend and draw a card i think there's a deck there too so i think there's a lot of different decks you can build with her even though she might not be the perfect artifact commander i think she does a lot of things fairly well that might interest people
2: i i think that this is the commander that everybody was hoping either crom or, or ludvik in the in the pre-cons would have been in the same year that we had brea i Everybody was, you know, oh, we're finally going to get it. And then they were disappointed by those two cards. And now we have Joyra. And I think out of that principle alone, a lot of people, I think, are going to build Joyra. Even though they, they had Brea in the same set as kram and ludwig they still wanted blue red artifacts and i think this is what they were looking for
1: do you follow automotive news or do you just like cars and want to see what the heck's going on well then you might like donut media's new podcast the big three hi i'm james pumphrey and every week me and my co-host slash two of my top five friends nolan sykes and joe weber unpack the latest and greatest in automotive news and trends on The Big Three. You'll also get a lot of laughs, hot takes, and personal insight on cars from the biggest car guys in automotive media. So whether you're a hardcore enthusiast or just a person who goes, that's a good looking car, (laughs) check out The Big Three. Available wherever you get your podcasts or you can watch the full videos at Donut Podcasts on YouTube. I don't know. I'm going to push back against that. I don't. I think that Joyra will be popular, but I don't think it's the the thing we've been waiting for. I don't think this is the commander for us. Specifically, it feels so weird to me. It feels to me like another color pie break. Actually, I know that I had a big stink last week about Azuri Claw of Progress, who was yeah, you did. I mean, he's clearly in the wrong colors. All you have to do is look at Fell the Mighty, and you can see that white is the color that cares about tiny creatures. But sure, give it to Azuri, whatever. We're talking about
2: Joyra here. Come on, meow.
1: Yeah, focusing on Joyra, (laughs) she strikes me as being the wrong colors as well. We care about historic spells being legendaries and sagas, and now, of course, legendaries include planeswalkers. Those strike me as things that the colors green and white care about. We've seen several cards in white that go and fetch a legendary permanent, such as Thalia's Lancers, and then also there's Time of Need in green. It just, this strikes me as actually being a bit of a color pie break, I guess. I mean, yes, she draws cards for artifacts, that's fine, but as Dana mentioned, if you were to build a Planeswalker deck in blue-red, that doesn't feel like they really care about that particular permanent type. So she feels off for me, I'm not... I'm not sure that I quite get along with her.
2: For the listeners that are wondering, Joey is the one who got the most invested in the Great Designer Search recently, out of all three of us here.
0: In case you couldn't tell, I would guess the argument would, here would be that Joyra, the character, cares about those things, and that might take precedence in this particular case over whether or not it's a bit of a color pie break. I tend I tend to agree with you generally speaking, but I think it it being
2: Joyra makes it okay. I, I suppose. Being the Weatherlight captain and the Weatherlight's all about the artifacts they collected in the original Weatherlight saga. Yeah, I, I kind of side with Dana just on that argument alone.
1: Yeah, and flavorfully, I do like that she has three power, which allows her to crew Weatherlight, the new artifact vehicle. Yep. That's a nice touch. I think the only of the new uh, crew of the Weatherlight, I think the only one who isn't able to crew the Weatherlight is actually Slimefoot the Stowaway because he has two power, but that's also because he's a stowaway, so he's not really supposed to be at the helm of the ship. I think that's a cool flavor touch. But anyway, these are the commanders that we've discussed so far. These are the commanders that we think will be the most popular from the upcoming set. But which do you guys think will be the most popular commander? Well, I can go
0: first here. I think it's down to two. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be either Slimefoot or Joira. And I think it's going to be Joira. I think it's a card that people have wanted. I think it's going to be something that can be flexed into a bunch of different decks. So I think when we look back at this in six months or a year, we're going to see more Joira decks than anything else.
2: Matt, what are your thoughts? I'll expand my rankings out. I think there's a big three. And I was kind of talking to all the other EDH writers or EDH rec writers. I think it comes down between Moldrotha. Slimefoot and Joyra. Like I said, Joyra is kind of that one that, you know, the blue-red artifact deck that everybody wanted. Slimefoot, just because it's gonna have so much casual appeal. And then Moldrotha because all the people who just, like we said before about Moldrotha, very linear, but you get so much value and you just do so much stuff over and over again. Between those 3 though, I think it's going to be Moldrotha just because you look at Marin, who's the most popular blue green co- or blue green black commander. I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm talking about apparently. But most part most popular Golgari commander number 2 of all time, uh Caridor, who's the the Abzan version of that and then we finally have the Sultai version of that that graveyard synergy. I think this is better than Tassiger, you know, dreamed of being. I think Muldrotha is going to push Cedecia aside as the most power or the most played and most popular Sultai commander out there. That's interesting. I actually disagree with both
1: of you guys. I do agree that Moldrotha, Slimefoot, and Joyra seem to be the most interesting and probably the most talked about so far, but I'm on team Slimefoot. Even though he's not particularly my cup of tea, he does seem to me, especially given his status as an uncommon, I feel like he's easily going to be the one that's the most built. So I have a question for you guys. Do you want to make this interesting? Yup. Absolutely. Do you want to bet on this? I would be totally willing to bet that... By the time that we get around to our next review for the next set, we can take a look at the numbers on EDHREC, and we can see which of these three commanders we've each chosen will be the most popular, and then, let's say, whoever wins, the other two have to buy him a copy of that commander. I get into that. Yeah, Since mine's, since mine's a
0: mythic, that works out so great for me.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quarter to buy a slime foot deal. <laughs> In retrospect, maybe this was a bad idea.
2: Nope, nope. You but already... whatever, I'm going for you it. You said it on the podcast. This sounds fun. No, 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 no. You can't back out now. You, it, it, we're recording now. You can't back out of this.
1: All right, listeners, you heard it here first. Go to Deck Stats and start building a bunch of Slimefoot decks immediately <laughs> right, to help exactly. me out.
2: Go go to MTG Goldfish and build Moldrotha decks just because you know I'm your favorite. I mean, I'm not even going to make a pitch. It's Joyra. <laughs> People are going to build Joyra. I don't even need to make a pitch. Oh, yeah, Dane, I, I don't think any of us really need to, but I always love making gentlemen's bets. So yeah, I'm I'm all about this. So yeah.
1: Alrighty, we'll check back again on those in the next set review that we do. I don't think we know yet what the next set will be, but when we get there, we'll check back on those numbers to see which is the most popular, and we'll have a return on that bet. Yeah, you guys are going to owe me a quarter for Slimefoot, I'm telling you right now. I'll buy you a
2: foil Slimefoot even. Yeah, actually, I I was going to say,
0: you can get a foil Slimefoot, that sounds fair.
1: That way the shipping's at least worth it. (laughs) I'm not buying you a foil Joyra. (laughs) Alrighty, for now let's move on to the non-commander cards we've talked a lot about the legendary creatures in the set but let's move on to some of the non-commander cards that we think will be very popular that we'll see a whole bunch of high statistics on edh rec i, I have to pause really quick here though because i see that matt you've put in a bunch of crappy cards that you think will
2: be popular do you know what do you want to walk us through them you know what don't don't mock me i love the good good efficiency there yeah, I saw stuff like Rewind and immediately a bunch of people started talking about it. Even talking about it in, you know, Modern a little bit, which I thought was a little bit of a stretch. Because you have stuff like Remand that'll draw you a card. But when you look at it, like, unwind... So, rewind, little closely confused word there. Uh, so you have Rewind, which is played in in over 12,000 decks, according to track, And Rewind is just counter-target spell and untap 4 lands, but it costs 2 and 2 blue. Whereas Unwind is just two and one blue, but it's a negate that untaps three lands, and negate is played in over sixteen and a half thousand decks as well. So negate and rewind are both very very popular cards, and Unwind is a combination of those two. So I think automatically you can guess like give it a couple years, and like this will probably be in ten thousand decks because I mean it counter it's a negate plus a rewind. I mean just that alone.
1: For the record, I mentioned that you put a bunch of crappy cards into our show notes here. I wasn't talking about Unwind. Oh. I was talking about the ones above it. I do happen to agree that Unwind looks like a pretty popular card. Although I should note, I don't feel like it's quite to the level of Rewind. And especially, I feel like Rewind might be one of those counterspells that people are misplaying. Dan, I know you have a lot of opinions on on
0: Rewind. Yeah, I was talking about it actually before the show, we talked about it a little bit. And there's just so many times I see somebody play Rewind and then not do anything else. And I think they, you know, oh, I get my mana back for rewind. That's great. It's a free counter spell. Well, it, it's a free counter spell if you actually utilize that mana for something else. If you're like playing a fara or something where you're, you're still going to be flashing stuff in. Or if you have some kind of an activated ability that you want to use that mana for. Like Thrasios, for example. Sure, right. But if you're just like rewinding and then coming back to your turn with those four lands untapped. I don't know if you want to be running a spell that costs, that requires you to leave four untapped in the first place. I think that's a mistake that gets made with a rewind, and I think we're going to see some of that with unwind too, where people just get caught up in the getting their their lands back and don't really think through the fact that
2: it's only worth doing that if you actually use that mana for a thing. I I think it'll be really good in combo decks, like people trying to, you know, get up this big, complex interaction and somebody tries to counter one of their spells, you're going to unwind and just keep going. I think that's one thing, the biggest use for unwind.
0: Sure, and I think I think it and Rewind both absolutely do have uses. I just think the, the amount of people that run them might not necessarily represent the amount of decks that actually are taking advantage of it.
2: I, yeah, I, I don't disagree.
1: So moving back to some of those cards that I was criticizing earlier, Matt, I see that you put in our show notes cards such as Invoke the Divine, which is a three-mana white instant that says destroy target artifact or enchantment, you gain four life. I'm dubious that this would outdo really famous enchantment and artifact removal spells like Return to Dust or even Disenchant, but you seem to think it'd be pretty
2: popular? So Disenchant is is only played in just about 4,500 decks or so. So it, well, I was actually kind of surprised when I looked at how many Decks it was played in. Life gain is never irrelevant either. I think a lot of people would rather pay one mana more. You still get the disenchant effect, but you gain four life. And if you're playing any sort of commander like Karlov that likes to gain life, you're going to play Invoke the Divine. I think just that life gain, people are really going to value, especially Eilidix. A lot of your Orzov commanders will play that card. Same with Broken Bond. That was another one I'm sure you guys were giggling about it's a sorcery, so it's a little bit slower, but it's uh, one in a green, you know, destroy target artifact or enchantment. You may put a land from your hand onto the battlefield, which triggers Tatiova. Um, You still get a disinfect or disenchant type of effect. I know, I'm, I'm probably going to play Broken Bond in my angry Omnath deck, Locus of Rage. Just there's a lot of those little, like, interactions, I think, that are going to make those cards decently popular, actually.
0: My problem with both of those cards, if I look at, like, Invoke the Divine, for example, at the same CMC, you've got Fate Forgotten and Forsake the Worldly, both of which Exile at the same casting cost at instant speed, and Forsake the Worldly has a Cycling, so you can, you know, if you don't have something to destroy with it, you can always pitch it and draw a card. I think outside of like an Aloro deck or something like Karlov where you want to gain life, Exile is going to be so much better than gaining four life the vast majority of the time. So I think it probably has a home once in a while in a deck that wants to run every life gain effect possible, like Bonfire and Sunday, for example. (laughs) They might want it, but by and large, I just don't think... It's better than the other things. It's not to say it's not good, but like there's other things that are better more frequently that will have a home in other decks. I think Broken Bond's the same way. I think Broken Bond's kind of a neat card, but I think there's a lot of variables there as well. In order for it to provide you with maximum value, you have to have an artifact or enchantment that you want to destroy at sorcery speed, and you have to have an extra land in hand that you haven't already played via your land drop for the turn. I just don't know if there's enough... Things where that condition is met frequently enough that I'm wanting to run that over Cross and Grip or over I don't know, the Aether or Nature's Claim. I mean, maybe there is, but I just feel like, even though it's a perfectly fine card, there's enough cards that are slightly better that it probably doesn't crack the 100.
1: That's fair. Yeah, still, it is it is a good idea not to completely look over the uncommons and commons, which I'll admit a lot of the cards that I put into our show notes here, things that I think will be very popular, I definitely headed straight for the rares and such. So, Matt, you do bring up a good point that we should make sure that we keep our eyes peeled for commons and uncommons that could be very effective in the upcoming set.
0: Well, I think Matt mentioned it earlier, mentioned Chart of Course, which was an uncommon in the first Ixalan set. I mean, that's one of the best cards one of the best draw spells that's been released in a couple years I would say that's an uncommon
2: yeah with a looting effect even so you know people like Moldrotha that want stuff in their graveyard you know that that I mean that by itself is is going to get a lot of play there
0: and it's a looting effect that you can work around if you don't want to discard so it's a, it's a spell that lets you twist it to whatever works best for your particular deck and that's an uncommon that's a fantastic card
1: Alrighty, let's move on to some of the other, as I mentioned, the rare cards that I jumped straight towards when I saw them. Things that I think will be very popular. I'm going to start off with Helm of the Host, a four mana legendary artifact equipment coming up in Dominaria. It equips for five, which is definitely a hefty cost, but it does something completely unique that we've never seen before in the game. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you create a token that is a copy of the equipped creature, except the token isn't legendary if the equipped creature is legendary. That token gains haste. That's it. That's the end of that ability. It doesn't exile that token at the end of the turn, which is why Helm of the Host costs so much mana to play and to equip. It can create a non-legendary copy of Atraxa for you, and then another one, and then another one. That's insanity. And then you play with doubling season, you get even more. You can have so many commanders, guys. That's actually pretty funny. I, I kind of like the idea of putting Helm of the Host into a Trostani deck, which lets you populate and create duplicate tokens, so you can Helm of the Host your Trostani, make a non-legendary Trostani, and then have the non-legendary and the legendary Trostani keep populating into more and more Trostanis. And you're gaining so much life this is not only a colorless card so we can see playing a lot of decks but it also is such a unique effect we'd never seen before that i feel like folks are going to be all over this one
0: it's a really fun card i like it a lot in in that way i think the effectiveness is a little bit magical christmas land like if this is you know if i have this great commander out that has an ability that is worth having multiple copies of and if i can spend 5 mana to equip it and if nobody removes it then a bunch of good things happen I don't know how realistic that is in a lot of games where you've got, you know, three people maybe packing removal for something that potentially powerful, but I think it's a super cool card and I love the outside the box thinking involved in its creation.
2: Yeah, I I think if you have have a commander or you have a legendary that is all about some big enter the battlefield effect, I think that's when it's really going to be
1: at its most effective. I mean, I think every Gonti deck is going to want this kind of thing for one off the top of my
2: head. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Gonti's a really good place for it. I definitely like it. Matt, do you want to read our next one? Yeah. So uh, the next one I look at uh, here that you put up was Oath of Teferi, um, which is a legendary enchantment. It's another one of those oaths. So Oath of Gideon, Oath of Jay, stuff like that. So it costs three, a white and a blue. So when Teferi, or when Oath of Teferi enters the battlefield, exile another target permanent you control, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step, and you may activate the loyalty abilities of Planeswalkers you control twice each turn rather than only once. Attracts a super friends! Or any super friends that can run it, basically hmm that's true
1: i'm not an attractive super friends player but there's no way that they aren't immediately going to clamor for this oath of teferi it can blink a planeswalker and then reset its loyalty counters and then you can use their abilities twice this is insane teferi both here with his enchantment and then also in the commander version of himself the planeswalker version that can be a commander like they both do insane weird things with loyalty abilities
2: I would say when I first saw this card, I immediately went to Brago decks and just as another way just to flicker everything for 20 minutes and everybody falls asleep, but I've been scarred by Brago decks, so. Or even rune decks. hmm And I've seen some, some Derevi blink decks as well. So yeah, any blink deck that
0: can
1: run it probably is eyeballing this as well. And since there are so many Atraxa decks, and a lot of folks do like playing Atraxa as super friends, I feel like it would be wrong for us to ignore that Oath of Teferi is probably going to end up being a very popular card. For sure. For sure. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. All right, we've got another Legendary Artifact coming up next. It's a new Mox that a lot of people are pretty excited about. Dana, do you want to read this one for us?
0: Mox Amber, zero casting cost for Legendary Artifact, and you can tap it to add one mana of any color among Legendary creatures and Planeswalkers you control. It's not... Broken, <laughs> like almost every other mocks ever made, <laughs> but I think it's a pretty effective card It's going to have a home in a lot of decks. To start with, if you're playing a one-drop Planeswalker, it's fantastic. If you're playing like Kytheon or Risa Redeemed or Zergo Striker, it lets you make your land drop, play your commander, and then... Drop Mox Amber to have another mana available for your Soul Ring or for your Land Tax and Kytheon or for a Mana Doric and Reese Redeemed or for an Exploration or a Burgeoning if you're playing via Pashiri. So I think the one drop Planeswalkers are where it's really, really going to be strong. But man, there are a lot of decks where you are just almost always going to have a legendary permanent of some type in play, or a legendary creature or Planeswalker in play, and it just becomes a free mana source at that point.
1: Yes, listeners, we are aware that Dana was referring to commanders as planeswalkers in a small monologue there, but don't tell him it's all right.
0: (laughs) Well, but they they will count for Mox Ambray, the legendary planeswalkers count for procking Mox Amber. So, like, even if you're just playing Super yeah. Friends deck,
1: or, you know, have a density of Planeswalkers in your deck, it's pretty easy to turn on. No, it just meant that you called Reese the Redeemed a Planeswalker, and it was, oh, I did. It was pretty <laughs> cute. And there was a listener that was somewhere that was tearing his hair out
2: that you had mislabeled it, but... it's Well, the best the best one-mana Planeswalker doesn't trigger this, though, because Deathrite Shaman isn't actually a Planeswalker, so... <laughs> right.
0: But even if, like, if you're playing Captain Sisei, where you're gonna have a ridiculous density of legendary creatures, or I, I play a Recky History Kamigawa deck, I mean, it's going to be perfect in those decks
1: yeah i'm I'm looking at mox amber and while there are certainly places for it and i do think that people will play this one a lot it it strikes me as doing the thing in the wrong order if that makes any sense the previous Moxen are so good because they give you mana Early so that you can cast your stuff. But Mox Amber requires that you already have something in play for it to start doing anything at all. And I feel like I want my mana rocks to help me cast my commander as opposed to help me cast stuff after I play my commander.
2: Yeah, I agree with Joey. I'm I'm kind of lukewarm on this. I think I think it's a little too narrow, maybe too not Christmas land, that's that's getting too extreme, but kinda like your your points about, you know, not liking Broken Bond, I think that's where I kind of sit with Mox Amber. Yes, it's going to be very good sometimes, but other times it may not really be doing a whole lot for you. And it's just a, a dead draw that you know, doesn't do a whole lot. So I'm I'm not really super excited, but... I think, I think there's going to be times where I do get, you know, crushed by this because I can't catch back up. I think there's going to be a very clear delineation between the decks that want
0: it and can use it and the decks that don't. I don't think you're ever going to have a situation where you're like, oh man, I thought it was going to be really good in Maelstrom Wanderer and it wasn't. It's just never going to be good in that deck. No. Whereas it's pr- almost always going to be good in Zergo Bell Striker.
1: That's a good point. I, I'm so used to my commanders being targeted out and killed that I, that's why I feel a little cynical about Mox Amber. I don't feel like I always have my commander in play. People like to kill my Marin or people like to make sure that my mimeoplasm stays off the field, things like that, but... There are certainly places for it. I, I mentioned that I do have a crew fix deck, and while this probably won't make the cut in a crew fix deck because I can use green ramp spells instead of this artifact, but that is also an indestructible enchantment, so it's very hard to get rid of that particular commander. So that's another possible place for it.
2: Yeah, like in a lot of decks, like like you said, Dana, like a lot of like the Zergo Bell Striker, like you're basically just making an extra land drop at that point. Right. But like, so green decks, I don't think green decks are going to play this at all. I don't think a lot of the you know the crazier stuff. I think it's going to be like kind of like the, the red-white decks that don't have other ways to get this type of advantage.
1: So there are also a couple of Planeswalkers coming up in Dominaria. Do you guys think that any of those Planeswalkers will end up seeing a lot of play in EDH? I think Karn is going to be everywhere. Do you want to tell us what Karn does?
0: Uh, sure. Karn, Sign of Urza for four mana. He's got a plus one. He comes in with five loyalty. His plus one is reveal the top two cards of your library. An opponent chooses one of them. Put that card into your hand and exile the other one with a sliver, excuse me, with a silver counter on it. And his minus one is put a card you own with a silver counter on it from exile into your hand. And his minus two is he creates a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token. With this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control.
1: Why is it you think this one will be pretty popular? I mean, Just because he's colorless. That's the or? yeah.
0: That, that's the best draw spell
1: that's ever been printed for
0: white and maybe red. Mm-hmm. Just like full stop right there. Like you can put that. I mean, I, I shouldn't say the best because there's definitely situations in red where like tormenting voice for wildcasts are ridiculous because you want to get stuff in the yard but for the most part you can dump this into any boros deck any mono white deck any mono red deck and have it be one of the best card advantage engines you have available
2: yeah i agree with dana like i think a lot of boros decks a lot of decks that aren't playing black or 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 blue are really going to like the card draw it's like a baby factor fiction almost every turn. And then you can just get that other card that you didn't get back. It's really, really good. Protects himself. You know, he at least makes a 1-1. One, one. I think even like some Brea decks and other decks like that that just have a butt ton of, of artifacts are going to play this just because you can make really big beaters. And then he distracts players from attacking you. I think, yeah, I agree with Dan. He's going to be very popular. He's very powerful, especially at four mana. I immediately was like, well, he's like... planeswalking Mind's Eye, kind of, but you don't have to keep paying for it. So he's, yeah, he's really good in a lot of different decks. I think I'm really half tempted to put one in my Edgar Markov deck just because I want to keep drawing cards and drawing more cards. So,
1: Hmm. I mean, I'm not personally intrigued by him all that much, but to compare to the other... Colorless planeswalkers that we do have in the commander format. I'm looking at uh, Karn's original version of Karn Liberated, that is Karn's original planeswalker version, since there is also a legendary artifact creature version of him as well. But anyway, the original Karn planeswalker is currently seeing play in 7,558 decks. And then there's also one other colorless planeswalker as well, and that's Ugin the Spirit Dragon, which sees play in a whopping 11,418 decks. That's quite a lot. Ugin is especially appealing because he has the fantastic Wrath of God effect on him where he can exile a bunch of colored permanents on the battlefield. I suppose since Karn can draw you cards that might be one of those things that people are really attracted to. I don't think he's gonna quite reach the status of either the previous iteration of Karn or Ugin, but I'm happy to be proven wrong if he is. He is an interesting take on card advantage.
2: Yeah, I don't know if he'll be that popular I think he'll be played quite a bit in standard, probably more so than Ugin ever was and I think that's going to kind of keep a lot of copies away from EDH players too, but everybody's going to want him. I I think there's people of all formats are going to want the new new Karn.
0: And old old Karn is also like financially not an option for a lot of people. Mm,
1: that's a good point. So
0: yeah. you know if this if this Karn is and he's not going to be cheap, but like okay if he's thirty dollars, which is Fairly reasonable for a popular standard legal planeswalker. That's much more accessible than you know what's Karn at eighty or ninety right now.
2: Ninety bucks or so,
0: yeah. Yeah, and and also you know Karn's only been printed in a master set and years ago in Scars Mirrodin block, so he's just inaccessible in that he's not sitting in binders. Whereas people are going to be cracking packs and drafting this regularly as well. I think that'll be a factor to consider when you think of how many times this will show up in decks. I think he's going to be in a lot of places. He'll be in Planeswalker decks. He'll be just as a draw engine in decks that need draw. He'll be in Artifact decks.
1: He's got a lot of homes. So in Dominaria, we also see that they're coming out with legendary sorceries. To be clear, these cannot be played as your commander, just like a legendary artifact cannot be played as your commander. But this is an interesting take on sorceries, where you can only cast these spells if you control a legendary creature or Planeswalker. We've got a smattering of new ones here. Is there
2: one that jumps out to you guys that you think will be particularly popular in EDH? Urza's Ruinous Blast to the white one. It's uh, four and a white for the exile all non land permanents that aren't legendary. I think that's going to get a lot of play, especially in, like we've been saying, Captain Sisse decks. Like, there's just a lot of new legends. You can almost just make a legendary theme deck without it being Captain Sise, And so this is just very, very good in that, especially because, like Dana said, it, it's an exile effect, and exile effects are a little bit better than destroy. So it's one mana, Wrath of God, but. You can save most of your guys, actually. So
0: yeah, that's my pick as the best of the bunch as well. I mean, five mana for an exile. Even if you're not playing some some way to kind of cheat it, whether it's Sissé or a or Superfriends deck of some sort, that's still just five mana to exile a bunch of stuff and play is pretty effective.
2: I forgot the, that your Planeswalkers will stick around too. That I yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's what I was just about to. Reiterate as well.
1: The fact that this can save your planeswalkers is pretty cool. That said, exiling all non-legendary, non-land permanents, that does make sure that your opponent's commanders also stay alive. So that's one thing that I'm a little dubious about Urza's Ruinous Blast. Since it isn't completely a board wipe, it does keep your opponent's Moldrotha still alive. So that that's kind of a rough part for it,
0: and and we, we also just fairly recently got uh, our revelation, which is a really really good EDH board wipe in white, and white just has so many good board wipes, I and mean, that's it's it's competing for a lot with a lot of cards over the years for the limited amount of board wipe slots in your deck. So, and you have to have a legendary permanent in play in order to cast it in the first place. So I mean they all have limitations, and this that's a limitation for this one. You have to have your commander or a
1: planeswalker or something legendary in play to even kick it off. We have another legendary sorcery here that grabs my eye and that's Kamal's Druidic Vow, an X green, green legendary sorcery that lets you look at the top X cards of your library and then put any number of land and or legendary permanent cards with converted mana cost X or less from among them onto the battlefield and the rest go to your graveyard. Sort of a legendary and land Genesis wave version. I bring this up because Dana, you mentioned you have a wrecky history of Kamigawa deck which cares a lot about casting legendary cards. Do you think Kamal's Druidic Vow might make the cut in that deck? It
0: already has a slot. I've already already planned out where <laughs> it's
1: going yeah for sure do we think that this will see play in non Ricky decks though i would it's I would kind guess of a sis- genesis wave ish
0: yeah i would guess to say maybe wants it depending on your your construction of the deck there's some Sisse decks that aren't running that many legends and there are some that are running you know 30 so i think some sister decks might want it but again like we've said a couple times everyone kind of wants to forget the planeswalkers are legendary as well so in a super friends deck whether it's something like angus mckenzie or atraxa this is probably kind of attractive in there as a second Genesis Wave as well, because it's going to hit you know, those Planeswalkers and any other legendary things you may have in that deck.
1: Mm-hmm. And Genesis Wave currently sees play in 9,864 decks, so that's respectable. It's not a ton. I don't think Kamal's Druidic Vow will by any means eclipse that particular number, but it certainly does have its place, and it's, it's pretty cool to see. And it is legendary permanent
0: cards. It isn't just legendary like creatures or planeswalkers. So it'll hit legendary artifacts. It'll hit, well, I guess that's really the only other legendary enchantments, I guess, as well. So it's not just going to be creatures and planeswalkers. Um, So that adds a little bit of value to it that maybe is easy to kind of gloss over when you're first reading the
1: card. You hit your legendary lands too. Don't forget about that. Right. Yeah. Just double kill. All right. I know we're going a little bit long, but I am still in the mood to challenge stats We obviously don't have any stats for these upcoming Dominaria cards, but that doesn't mean that we can critique them a little bit. We've discussed several cards so far that we expect will be popular, but we can still criticize what we expect the numbers will be for those cards on EDHREC, whether they will see a lot of play, whether they won't, and particularly whether they should. So this week for challenging the stats, let's pick a card that either we think will be popular in the upcoming set but shouldn't be, or we can pick a card that we think should be more popular than it will end up being. Matt, do you want to start us off?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I was at first going through uh, all the legends, because there's there's so many legendary creatures, it's going to be really easy to, to gloss over a bunch. And at first I was thinking about Whisper Blood Liturgist, but then I realized it's just kind of a bad Hell's Caretaker. So I kind of shift away from that one, but I did find one that I think... You know, I messed up and, and didn't see it and didn't it didn't stand out at first to me. But it's uh, Valduk, Keeper of Flame, and besides having the most over the top nerdy Dungeons and Dragons type name ever, so Valduk, it's he's a human barbarian, human shaman. I'm sorry, shaman for two and a red, and is three two human shaman, like I said. But his text reads: at the beginning of combat on your turn, for each aura and enchantment attached to Valduk. Create a 3-1 red elemental creature token with Trample and Haste. Exile those tokens at the beginning of the next end step. I really like this as an aggressive mono-red commander. I know there's a decent amount of options, but if you, you know, put them next to a Perforos and a lot of equipment, you have your swords and all that kind of fun stuff. I I think a lot of people are kind of going to get surprised when this, you know, jumps out of nowhere to some mono-red blood moon probably deck uh, messes up a lot of stuff. I think he's going to be underplayed. I don't think he's going to be very popular at all, but I think it's a very fun deck. I think it's unique. Maybe not terribly unique. I think go- a lot of people are probably going to be playing Godo instead. Just I think Godo's is a little bit better, but I really like Velduck, Keeper of the Flame, and I think he's going to be very underplayed just because of, you know, being mono red, the sixth best color out there to play in Commander.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Dana, how about you? Well,
0: I'm going to quick say I do, I like that pick because Valduk is my kind of fallback if Martin Stromgall doesn't work out. I mentioned last week building a Martin Stronggall deck. And then after seeing Valduk, I was like, man, that might also work. So I'm actually pondering making a deck with him. So I have to agree he's a cool commander. My pick is Raf Capuchan, Chip's Mage, which I think is a good card and is going to be good in a lot of decks. And I think he's going to be vastly overplayed as a commander. Oh, go on. Um, so for those who don't know, he's two white and a blue, so he's Azorius, and he has flash himself, he's a human wizard, and flying, and you may cast historic spells as though they had flash. So he comes into play, then you can flash in your creatures, your planeswalkers, and your artifacts. Here's the problem with, with Raf Capuchan. I think he's what I call an ego card. And every set, there's a one or two of these that I think people look at and think that they, in their special skill, can make work in a way that the average EDH player can't. And I think Raf is the card that does this. People look at it and imagine themselves doing all kinds of, before the end of your turn, flash-in shenanigans. I think you're already playing in colors that do that pretty well, just as a base ability. And I think what's going to happen is people are going to build a rash, a Raf deck, and they'll cast him on turn four... Effectively, time walking themselves for that turn. They'll cast a commander that doesn't really impact the board at all, and everyone else will do a thing that turn, and it'll come back around to them, and they will pass their turn again because they're going to flash in something, and it'll spin around again, and they'll flash in that propaganda or flash in you know whatever they have in hand that really also won't accomplish anything because it's not like anyone's going to remove your propaganda on turn five, and it'll come back around again, and then they'll you know they'll instant speed their Factor Fiction, which already had instant speed anyway, I think it's just gonna be a card that doesn't actually get you anything accomplished versus something like if you wanna play Grand Arbiter in that same slot and do the same thing, the second Grand Arbiter hits a field, he immediately screws up everybody else's plans. And when it comes back around to you in the next turn, not only have you screwed everybody else up, that propaganda that you wanna play, you can play, and you can also have mana free to cast your Factor Fiction because you've saved mana and the propaganda from Grand Arbiter. I just think he's a card that doesn't do anything way, way too often. He doesn't affect anything. I think people are going to not realize that. They're going to play it as their commander and not realize it's not actually
1: accomplishing anything. Well,
2: I wish you would tell us how you really feel. Yeah, it's just a, it's a bad Vidalkan Orrery.
0: Right. And Vidalkan Orrery is a good card. Like, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good card. But I think Josh Lee has been telling everyone it needs to be in every deck for six months. And people have now internalized that without realizing whether or not it actually should be in every deck. And no disrespect to Josh, I think he's a smart dude and I think it's a good card, but I think he knows why he's putting it in his decks. And I think a lot of people that put it in their decks don't know why it's in their deck. I think statistically speaking, one thing I can say about the average Magic player is they're an average Magic player. <laughs> and I think and I think this is going to sucker a lot of average Magic players into thinking they're doing things that they're really not doing.
1: Not you, dear listeners. Listeners, you are the best <laughs> right, Magic players. Right, exactly. no, the, the other podcast listeners, yeah. Dude, I'm probably going to get strung up for my Azuri rant last week, but people are going to come for you, Dana. (laughs)
2: Well, if that's what happens, that's what happens. That's fine. I I called Slimefoot players casuals, so.
0: Right, yeah. We're we're just making enemies. (laughs) We're just annoying everyone. Three, Three
2: episodes in, and we're making enemies already. This is great.
1: Alrighty, let's move on to my particular pick for challenging the stats this week, and that is Wizard's Retort. We didn't actually talk about this one, but it's still one that I think will be way overplayed after Dominaria releases. Wizard's Retort is a one blue-blue instant that costs one less to cast if you control a wizard, and it says counter, target, spell. This is a really neat card in a wizard deck, kinda. Not really, At worst, when you don't have any Wizards in play, it's just a regular cancel, and if you need to hear how bad cancel is, you can refer to Dana's series in the margins where he tells you about cards that you could probably be using better versions of. At its best, Wizards' Retort is another counterspell, since it takes off that one colorless mana, and then it just costs blue-blue, Counter target spell, and that's really cool if you happen to control a wizard. The problem, the reason that I'm bringing this particular one up, is because I bet that Wizard's Retort is going to see more play in wizard tribal decks, such as Inala, than Counterspell will see play in wizard tribal decks, and that I'm not okay with. That should not be happening. This is an effect that I mentioned when I was going over my dinosaur showdown with Zakama versus Gishoth a little bit earlier. I pointed out that the card Thunderherd Migration, which is effectively a 3-mana Rampant Growth, it costs a little bit less if you happen to control a dinosaur. It will find you a basic land and only cost you 2-mana for it. But Thunderherd Migration shows up in 28% of dinosaur decks, while Rampant Growth, the regular standard just 2-mana version to go and get you a land, that only shows up in 24% of dinosaur tribal decks. And that's just... that, that, that that's wrong. If people are playing those for flavor inclusions... That's not wrong. I'll never, ever say that people are playing something wrong just because they're playing a very flavorful deck. But a lot of folks will look at a card that mentions a particular synergy that they're playing around and assume that, therefore, that means it must be the best version. That must be the card that I am supposed to play. But if Wizard's Retort is just going to be, at best, another counterspell, it shouldn't be seeing more play than actual counterspell, just like Rampant Growth shouldn't be seeing less play than Thunderherd Migration and Dinosaur decks. So keep your eyes peeled for that one.
0: Yeah, I I think that's going to be a thing that happens, too. I I think that's a pretty valid point. Not that it's not a decent card in some situations, because it will be. But, yeah, the, the fact that there's a better alternative out there, that people are going to get hung up on the fact that this fits my deck, and they'll
1: be running it for that reason without kind of digging the next level down. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Flavor is a fantastic reason to build decks, so if you want to run Wizard's Retort or any wizard weird card like that for flavor reasons, or even Thunderherd Migration, I'll never say you're wrong for including cards that prioritize flavor over efficiency. I just don't think that that's what's going to end up happening here. The numbers strike me as very confused choices rather than flavorful includes, at least with regards to the Thunderherd Migration, and I just don't want to see that same effect happen again here with the Wizard's Retort card. We're here to try and encourage people to be better deck builders, and cards like those tribal cards can be very deceptive. They aren't always the awesome optimal choice that they appear to be. So I just want to use this as an opportunity to make sure that people are hyper aware of the stuff that they are playing and aware of the cards that they could be playing in lieu of some of those synergy cards that aren't actually quite as good as the standard options. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. Good call.
2: I get it. Alrighty boys, did you have any other final thoughts on Dominaria? No man, I think we I for as much out there, I think we kind of packed it into a a pretty good, you know what? 90 minute episode that we're at, probably. <laughs> there's just, there's so much in the set. There's no way we can talk about it without going into a three hour set review, and we're just not the podcast for that. If you guys want, there's plenty of other good podcasts. We're just giving you uh, how it applies to EDH Rec and what you can look for.
0: I mean, I think three hours is conservative. I think you could talk seven or 10. I mean, there's enough cards you could literally, like we did, you know, 10, 15 cards. There, you could talk about. Three-quarters of the cards in the set in some way shape or form. This is it's
1: the it's an embarrassment of riches Yeah, this is looking like a very very impressive set especially for commander players given just the huge wealth of legendary creatures that we've got going on here this set's got me really excited
2: yeah same here i was going through just like doing the homework for the podcast and just going through our notes and then i pulled up the spoiler and i like it's overwhelming i there's just no way that every card is going to get the attention it's due because it's going to get lost in the shuffle by something else that's just even cooler and then there's something even cooler than that and and there there's just there's something for everybody which is it's really really fun i this set's just yeah it's great Alrighty, And with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts
1: for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to find us, where can they find you all? Well, you can
0: find me on Twitter. I am at Dana Roach. And I also host a podcast, Commander Central. You can find us at CMDR Central.
2: And I'm Matt Morgan. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S 55. And you can find me at EDH Recast Facebook page. <laughs> with the other guys you sound confident that we can find you there (laughs) well i I do run i do run the the facebook page so yeah if you get responses or the emails too send us an email edh at gmail one of us will get to it and maybe respond but you have to send us an email first so email us listeners please <laughs> and
1: I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M Schultz on Twitter. And of course, you can find all of our articles on EDHREC. You can follow EDHREC on Facebook and Twitter at EDHREC and the EDHREC subreddit if you have a question or request for a new site feature. And if the EDHREC Facebook page gets 5,000 likes, there's going to be a giveaway. So head on over there to smash that like button for a chance at a cool prize know you mentioned you can find your other podcast at cmdrcentral.com. You can also check us out on iTunes or at edhreccast.libson.com or contact us, as Matt mentioned, at edhreccast at gmail.com. You can also find this podcast and more on EDHREC's very own community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other Commander content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by EDHREC's very own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. And until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. And Team Slimefoot.
2: Yo (laughs) Mudrotha!
0: Joyra! All the way joyra!